Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there. I think what we're going to find is that people have been taking nickels. They're not just getting rid of fat. They're cutting muscle matter. And I think we'll see that in plants as we continue to do these scans over the next several years. I think it's inevitable. And for those people, I think that it's going to be a challenge for them because they're going to have to really reset things. Imagine for a second a database of every solar project in North America. Here, a quick search would sort the project's performance by developer, EPC, asset owner, module manufacturer, you name it. Would the solar industry look different if we had all that information? Would all the same players still be involved? Over the past year, DroneBase, a company that conducts aerial assessments of utility-scale solar projects, has been building out a database just like that, which now includes every project one megawatt in capacity or larger in California. Every single one. This kind of report card could bring a new level of transparency and a reckoning to the solar industry. Are your projects ready? I'm John Ingle, Content Director for Renewable Energy World. On this episode of Factor This, Mark Culpepper, the General Manager of DroneBase's Solar Division, joins us to discuss the new platform and the implications for the industry. This episode of Factor This is sponsored by NextTracker. NextTracker is optimizing energy yields for utility-scale solar projects around the world, with over 20 gigawatts of projects benefiting from their proprietary software, TrueCapture. TrueCapture software combines advanced sensing and machine learning technologies to help mitigate energy losses and boost plant performance. The increased power production widens the shoulders of the power production curve, leading to better performance, lower levelized cost of electricity, and maximized financial returns for asset owners. NextTracker is the only tracker company with proven third-party verified data and measured results that meet or exceed modeled predictions. You can take that extra production to the bank. See those results for yourself. Find the link in the show notes to download their new free white paper now. Next tracker, solar just got smarter. Mark Culpepper, he is the general manager of Global Solar Solutions at DroneBase, and he joins Factor This for the first time. Not Renewable Energy World for the first time, but good to see you, Mark, on the podcast. Yeah, likewise, John. It's great to be here. So, Mark, help me understand this pivot underway at DroneBase. Uh, for years, you've been scanning utility-scale solar projects using aerial thermal technology um, as a service provider to asset owners. Now you're recognizing the value of this data that you've been collecting and, and seeing that it could be something much bigger. Explain what you're working on at DroneBase right now. Yeah, thanks, John. Um, we had um, started this process uh, called the North American Solar Scan last year. And um, just a little backstory. My company uh, was acquired by DroneBase in 2020. And kind of the realization that I had in our own company, we had done about a gigawatt of thermal inspections using UAVs. 
And the realization that I had was that to really operate at the scale of the industry, you need a bigger platform. Drones are extremely useful for spot checks. They're very functional tools for on-demand inspections. Uh, but to really scale it up and to be able to inspect, say, an entire um, area, you need manned aircraft. You know, or you need military-scale drones, which are not, not available right now. So as we looked at that challenge when we were running our own business, the only company that approached us that actually was using manned aircraft, ironically, was a company with drones in its name, Drone Base. And so we saw in that a, a great opportunity to build a much larger platform. So in our first year of operation, uh, we launched a North American solar scan. This is essentially a bus route. Clients could basically buy a ticket on the bus route, so to speak. And could essentially say, hey, here are the sites that I want to have scanned. And we would scan them as part of that effort. That really helped us scale up our, our operations. So to put it in context, um, you know, an individual with a thermal camera can scan anywhere around a megawatt a day. That's three to 5,000 panels. An individual with a drone can scan, you know, 25, 30 megawatts a day, maybe, um, at detail. Um, our first year of operations when I started the prior year's peak uh, collection capacity was about 200 megawatts a day. By the end of 2021, our peak collection capacity was about 516 megawatts in four hundred four and a half hours. Um, this year, uh, we've ramped that up substantially through additional investments in technology and edge processing. Um, our collection capacity about three weeks ago hit a new peak of just over one gigawatt. And then just about a weekend ago, two weekends ago now, I guess, um, hit 1.7 gigawatts for a single aircraft. And in a single day, we ended up collecting 2.7 gigawatts with two aircraft. So this allows us, this new scale of, of collection allows us to kind of look at the problem in a slightly different way. And the way that we looked at it was we said, you know, what if we just collected all the power plants um, in the U.S. one megawatt and larger? And that's what we're doing. And that's essentially what's happening with the North American solar scan. It's truly turning into a scan of every material asset in the United States, one megawatt and larger. Um, that has some pretty fundamental um, um, changes in how you can look at the segment in the industry now, really. Um, anybody who's been in the market understands, like, transparency has always been a challenge in this market, um, how are assets really performing, um, how are different technologies uh, performing on those assets, what is the best um, technology to use, who is the best vendor to install or operate that technology. These are questions that, you know, historically the business really hasn't been able to answer, the industry hasn't been able to answer. Um, we are convinced that with this uh, scanning at this scale, uh, that scans at the scale of the industry. This is going to provide some fundamental insights into how the industry is really operating uh, and provide some context for that entire experience for investors, owners, um, O&M firms, even EPC firms, developers, and others. So you're talking about a report card, essentially a database that compiles rankings and grades for really the entire process from development through asset ownership and operation and, and, and maintenance, right? Like, so we're, we're talking about potentially assigning ratings to, um, 
to module manufacturers, inverter suppliers, um, developers, EPCs, asset owners, O&M firms. I mean, there's no one that you can't touch with this data, right? I think that's a fair statement. It is a little bit more nuanced than that. So we're actually rating um, three specific attributes at the power plants themselves. And then that data uh, essentially informs how people view the overall asset and the technologies that underlie that asset or the providers that uh, provide context to that asset. So our ratings are based on, um, you know, percentage of DC power loss, basically. Uh, That's the first rating. And essentially what that tells you is you have a lot of isolations at the plant. Um, It'll also indicate, you know, other problems, right? If you're losing, if modules are going offline or if you're experiencing a lot of loss at the module level as well. But DC power loss as a whole tells you what's happening on the DC side of the power plant. Uh, The second rating is a temperature rating. And essentially what we're doing is identifying the highest temperatures that we're seeing thermally at the plant. You can think of temperature as a proxy for uh, risk, you know, um, particularly for rooftop systems. Uh, If you've got really hot cells on a rooftop system, that could potentially indicate fire risk. You know, Um, we don't qualify it as risk. We say, look, this is a temperature rating. You you have to make your own um, determinations based on your own understanding of, of that risk. But we do know that elevated temperatures on uh, panels can be a leading indicator of potential fire risk. Um, the third one is um, anomalies per megawatt DC. And what that basically does is it tells you roughly the condition of the modules at the site. So you can imagine a scenario in which you have a really strong uh, DC uh, productivity right, and a highly rated system for productivity, uh, but where you have um, relatively high anomalies. So what that would indicate to you as a potential buyer is that the plant, although it's performing well right now, might be at risk down the road uh, for underperformance or warranty uh, issues, right? Similarly, you can have a very high, um, a very high rating on power loss and a very good rating on anomalies but have a few extremely hot uh, locations um, on the site. And again, if you're a buyer or an asset owner, you probably want to look at those and make sure that those are, those are okay, right? Um, so these three attributes together allow you to basically rate a plant pretty efficiently. And then you can derive your own categorization from that, right? Uh, we're not going to tell you, hey, here's the 25 worst plants in the U.S., uh, the data will talk for itself, you know, um, clients who subscribe to the data service will be able to look at it and make their own determination as to which plants are in great condition and which plants aren't. Let's talk about this road trip a little bit more. Um, how extensive was it? How far did you go, uh, in terms of, you know, trying to get that snapshot of, of projects in the U S and Canada and how was that received by asset owners? Because you mentioned starting out as this sort of voluntary, uh, format where an asset owner would say, yeah, we want to be on your road trip to evolving to, we're just going to get as much as we can and try to get everything. Yeah. Uh, that's a great question. So, um, to be clear, uh, we have completed California. We started this, uh, this national scan here in California. Um, and it took us a little over a month to collect over 16 gigawatts. I'm pretty sure that's a record in the industry. That's essentially all the utility scale capacity in the state of California. That's correct. It's actually every plant one megawatt larger in California. So 
So it's about 850 points, depending on, on how you measure it. Now, remember, those numbers are dynamic, right? So we basically set a date. We say, from this date, this is our target list. And then we move forward. You know? um, and at the time that we set that date, there was about 850 plants and about 16 gigawatts of capacity, one megawatt larger. Um, so, for example, if you show up at the show, uh, trade floor, um, um, RE plus next week, and you say, hey, I want to see my rating on my plant, you'll be able to type in your address or your location and, you know, provide us a little bit of information. And for plants up to a certain size, we'll actually give you that first report, that asset rating report for free. Um, but to get to your question about, you know, how did we get here? One of the things we realized was that um, when you look at the challenges associated with collecting this much data, um, they really are quite extensive. You know, one of the things that that tipped my hand um, from being mainly a drone-based provider to really looking at broader collection capabilities was the scale of what we could accomplish with drone collection and the scale of what we could accomplish with manned aircraft. They just they just operate completely different scales, you know. And as we started to think about that, we really started to play around with this idea and have been playing around with this idea for almost four years. It's like, how do you collect all the data everywhere? Um, and as you think about that problem, what you realize is there's collection uh, challenges, just the logistics of pulling off that amount of collection. Uh, and then there's processing uh, challenges. You know, um, and then there are other challenges inside the actual database to be able to handle the volume and, and amount of data that we're talking about. You know, um, we're talking about petabytes of data. I mean, it's a lot of data, right? Um, and so you really have to think about your system uh, in its totality and think about how does that scale from a business standpoint? Um, but what we realized as we looked at it, it was like nobody has this data right now, you know. In fact, nobody has any um, really complete picture data on the entire U.S. infrastructure for solar. And where does it stand? You know? um, so we think that this data, as we start to look at it, we're like, this makes a lot of sense, not just for us, but also for the industry as a whole. Um, we think that people who are doing really good work are going to be rewarded for it. I think people who have challenges are going to have a pretty clear picture of what they need to work on next to improve their own um, conditions, right? Uh, and we think it will provide some insights into kind of how vendors operate and how vendors operate within the in industry. So we see this as um, definitely a, uh, a positive, obviously, otherwise we wouldn't be doing it, um, you know, both from a business standpoint as well as an industry standpoint. Well, the people who are at the end of those rankings might not feel as as positive about the the product announcement. Um, so, so get to that. I mean, because there this this yeah. is kind of also a, a case study in communications. Because I imagine when you're going out to these projects, not every asset owner is like, "Yeah, fly over my plant," even though they can't do anything about it. Um, and and now that you're compiling this data at scale, that's a that's a a, a transparent resource that investors and, and utilities and regulators have not had before to tell them, is this developer worth their salt? Is this module worth the, the price? You know, all these these different things could really lead to a, 
a dramatic shakeout in the industry. Yeah, and and we think that is one of the things that will benefit the industry. Right? Look, there's a lot of good, high performing power plants, um, and just in the data that we've collected over the last four years, we know, for example, there is not a correlation between age and performance. Older power plants do not necessarily perform worse than new power plants. And in fact, in some cases, they perform substantially better. Right. Um, so that's the kind of thing that we see because we're looking at the data across all the clients. Um, but it's pretty obvious that that would benefit industry as a whole. You know, um, I think that most operators um, and asset owners are going to be generally happy with the condition of their assets. You know, um, are there areas where improvements could be made? Absolutely. Right. I think that's true of, of any industry. Um, but the challenge I think the industry has had in general is transparency. You know, um, it's very hard to determine who's who and who's actually the gold star kid. It's one thing to install a lot of capacity. And we've seen that in this industry in many years, over many decades now, about what works and what doesn't. If you remember back to when Spain first uh, turned up their feed-in tariff, they set a really aggressive tariff price. And a lot of capacity got built very quickly, and a lot of it was really shoddy. You know, the U.S. hasn't really had that experience um, at the same scale that we've seen in some of the other feed-in tariff markets. Uh, but certainly, I think with this um, Inflation Reduction Act, we're going to see an enormous increase in build capacity. And I think transparency is part of the um, covenant, you know, that the industry has with the public and with investors and others uh, to make sure that we actually deliver what we say we're going to deliver right? in a way consistent with expectations of the market, expectations of policymakers and others. Um, you know, to put it in a, maybe a slightly different context, if you think about the oil and gas industry, um, they've been doing um, essentially flyovers of uh, oil tanks for decades, right, where they can report on, competitively report on inventory levels for other processors. This is no different. I mean, it's, you know, obviously at a different operational scale, um, we're not just going to a single refinery. We're going to a lot of places to do this. You know, um, next year's um, the complete spring scan uh, for 2023 will be over 8,000 sites, you know, um, and somewhere around 80 gigawatts of capacity, you know, as of today's target list. That target list will shift a little bit in the upcoming months, just as more plants come online. Um, but we don't expect it to shift dramatically yet. Now, if you kind of look out three years, four years, five years time, you know, we're going to be adding 50, 60 gigawatts of new capacity per year. Uh, by 2030, the estimate will be adding close to 100 gigawatts of capacity in a year. That's, our, that's basically our entire U.S. install base right now. So we see this tool chest becoming incredibly valuable as the industry scales up. You have to operate at the scale of the industry. People are trying to do this with drones, just drones. They're missing the point. And conversely, we think people who are trying to do this just with aircraft, they're also missing the point. And you use the right tool for the right problem. Um, so a big part of what we bring to the table is ability to use the right tools, you know. Um, and, and that's really how we look at it. 
Hey Factor This listeners, it's John Ingle. I wanted to let you know that you can now watch every new episode of the Factor This podcast on YouTube. Just search Renewable Energy World and leave a rating and review while you're there. Thanks for listening. So then how long will this take to to complete the database and how do you maintain that quality as as time goes on like you mentioned i mean um yeah what do you face any liability if a, a asset owner says you know you came when it was a cloudy day or there was user error or some other anomaly was at play um and now we're getting judged by it in the market by either capital providers or regulators and in irp processes or you know how do you how do you deal with all that well i think if you look at at collection for starters um one of the things that's um that is true that in year one, when we do the snapshots, if your plant's in maintenance or your plant happens to be offline, it's a fair criticism to say, hey, you gave us a bad rating, but our plant was offline for maintenance. And, you know, in year one, that's a fair conversation to have. And, you know, we can rectify um, complaints like that to some degree. But the reality is that's not the point. We're going to be scanning this thing every year you know, multiple times a year in some cases, uh, for many years. And if you tell us over the course of three years that the plant happened to be in maintenance every year for three years, it's just not going to hold water. No one's going to believe that. And they shouldn't believe that because it's probably not true, you know, unless by some incredibly anonymous uh, activity, you know, uh, the plant just happened to be offline for the last five years. At some point, someone's going to go, why is the plant offline every time they scan that plant? You know, it's going to be a really hard thing to justify, particularly since we're not scanning the exact same time every plant every time every year. So from our standpoint, we think that the the time value of the data is what's going to be interesting. You know, certainly you can derive a lot from one snapshot with 16 gigawatts of capacity, for sure, right? You can start to make, um, draw correlations even on just that data set alone. But I think the real value in this is going to be, as you look at this data over the course of three years, it's going to be really hard to argue with the results on the data. You know, whether you're a module manufacturer or a, um, or a builder or an asset owner or a developer, you know, you're going to start to see winners and losers in this, I think. Um, but from our standpoint, it's not our point to make those calls. The data is what the data is. The data will make the calls at the end of the day. This seems like a much bigger play for you than taking calls from asset owners to come give them a, a thermal scan. Um, Cause there are other people in the space that, that do what you do to that respect, mm-hmm. but to, to have a database at this scale with the ability for other stakeholders to access that data in a, in a meaningful and, um, you know, positive yeah. user experience way, it just seems like the opportunity there is so much greater than the, the physical process of actually flying the planes or the drones. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a big reason why we did it, you know, um, as we look at the space, like we do intelligent imagery and what intelligent imagery is, is it, is it allows you to take quantitative and qualitative assessments of an image, right? So this site has X number of diode defects or this site has X number of cell level anomalies or this site has X number of isolations on string, combiner box, harnesses, etc. All of that essentially sets up a... Um, a conversation right around the data, which we think will be fruitful for us 
um, and fruitful for the industry. It is a bigger play, but at its core, intelligent imagery is kind of what drives the conversation. How we collect that imagery, I think, is almost irrelevant. You know, we do terrestrial uh, data collection. We do drone data collection. We do um, manned aircraft data collection. And I am quite certain that if I look into my crystal ball at some point, we're going to be doing satellite data collection. Right. Uh, we do leverage satellite data even now as part of our GIS operations, but you know it's not um, it's not transformative the way that drone data or manned aircraft data is, or or terrestrial data for that matter, right? Um, and so when we look at it, we think this is a, a much bigger story to tell. Let's let's talk about an asset over twenty or twenty five years, right? Whether it's a building, or a solar array, or a wind turbine or, you know, an energy storage facility, it doesn't really matter. What's important, I think, is what's what does the picture tell you about how that asset is performing over that extended period of time? Um, I mean, you know, those, those time-lapse shots that you see of a, of a child growing up, like our daughter, for example, every year uh, on the first day of school, we take a picture yeah. of her against the wall. And she hates it now. She's a teenager. But but for us, it is definitely uh, a view of her. And as she has become a person over these many, many years from a little young, little young child all the way to a, a, a beautiful young woman. You know? um, and when we think about these assets, um, whether they're solar assets or wind or what have you, or T&D assets or telecom. You know, that transition over time, we think, is really tells a very, very big story. Um, and being able to talk about that from the standpoint of the data, right, um, is foundational to how we make use of these assets as a society. Um, you know, what has happened to the assets? I'm sure you've seen the pictures, too, of like deserted malls or things like this and they're they're depressing at so many levels right because you think about all the wasted wasted energy and money and people's lives that kind of went into it and then it just ended up for naught at the end you know um so big part of doing this tracking also keeps us uh, and keeps that covenant strong between uh, the industry and the people who have bought into the industry did anything surprise you out of the data set in California that jumps out as a, a major theme from that 16 gigawatt scan? I'd say it's too early, honestly. Uh, we're we're literally uh, analyzing data in real time even during this. You know, we've got another week before the show. So you can imagine uh, we're still we're still processing a lot. I mean, 16 gigawatts is a huge amount of data. It's only I say only 850 sites. But, you know, there's some huge sites in California. Yeah. I think that the single the single most interesting thing to me is um, this early statement that I made that um, plant performance or plant condition, I should say, is not correlated to age. And that is absolutely true. And I think that is a fascinating lesson to be learned um, that can be applied both for the investors and for the regulatory bodies, for sure. Right. Because um, you start to look at that and you're like, why is it that certain plants have done so well? When I was at Sun Ed, um, we were lucky enough to be able to do um, a lot of analysis. Well, a lot at that time 
which was about a half a dozen solar power plants that were part of the original DOE grant and um, discovery program back in the 1980s. So we had plants that were at that time 25 years old, which was probably the oldest power plants in, in the U.S. from the standpoint of grid connected anyway. And, you know, we started to see, you could see from even that early stage kind of what had happened with some of these plants. And, um, you know, the Rancho Seco site, I don't know if you're familiar with that. That's a facility out in California. Rancho Seco is a twin model of Three Mile Island. And when Three Mile Island shut down, um, the ratepayers in Sacramento, Sacramento is a municipal utility, uh, decided to shut down Rancho Seco. And so what SMUD did, Sacramento Municipal, they turned it into a test ground for solar. And their initial solar deployments occurred over the course of several years in the 80s. And when we had our teams go out there, we basically did, a, did an agreement with them to do an inspection on those assets. And what we found was you could see, you could physically see how the industry was learning with every installation, because they did a series of block installations over the course of like three or four years, maybe even a little bit longer. Um, and, you know, you could see them overbuilding the early ones uh, and just really going really heavy, like they were trying to build a dam, more or less, you know. Um, and then um, then they would underbuild the next one and you would end up with sags in the array and you know, and then they finally got to a model that was pretty good. And what was interesting for us is when we looked at it, that power plant was 20, I want to say it was 23 years when we inspected it. It was still performing at something like 82 or I can't remember if it's 82 or 87% of rated, original rated capacity. Wow. And it was 20 something years old. Literally, you could have just, if, if the modules had been, closer to a standard size, you could have just pulled the modules off, put a new inverter in and called it a day. Yeah. Right. And just completely repowered the plant. But that kind of insight that you gain from looking at those assets over time is really invaluable. And, um, you know, we do that in all of our operations. So we do that in our construction monitoring application. We do that in our wind turbine inspections. You know, we do that for our property and rooftop inspections. Um, and we do that obviously at a, at a new scale now with our solar asset inspections in the North American solar scan. Take me through a, a conversation that either you had or someone on your team had with an asset owner of introducing, you know, what you're doing here, why you're showing up at their project yeah. and, and what you're going to do with that data. I, ideally, I, I'd love, love to hear the good and the bad. Like what, how, how was it received in a positive um, approach and, and maybe the other side of the coin? Well, I think, yeah, it's really interesting for people who are in the industry. Um, when I first described this to to them, um, their first reaction is, "Wait, you're? Do you say scan? Do you say scan all of California?" <laughs> yeah, that's I what like, I did. I, I was like, what do you mean I all? was like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, I mean all, right?" <laughs> and I think that's the first reaction everybody has, right? It's like, "What do you mean all?" And I was like, "One megawatt larger," and they're like. The, all of them? And I was like, yes, all of them. All of them that we can get the data on, right? So that's the first reaction. And, um, you know, I think some of the people have I've really, um, some people get it pretty quick. You know, pretty, people in the industry actually generally understand it pretty quickly. Um, I can tell you that on at least three occasions, like a minute after they get it, quite a few of them start laughing, you know? 
because they realize kind of what the implications of such a large data set are. Right. Like good and, laughing or like more sinister, yeah, yeah, good sinister mad scientists? No, 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 no. <laughs> Not mad scientists. Good laughing. Like they just start chuckling about like, oh, my gosh. So you're going to be able to like, and I'm like, yes. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the initial reaction. Now, um, from an asset owner standpoint, you know, some people do look at it and go, well, how can you do that? And I say, well, because the airspace is regulated by the FAA. Basically, everything that flies off the ground is covered under the FAA. You know, um, we can fly over pretty much anything that doesn't have a, you know, TFR or some other restriction, right, um, to fly over um, and collect data on anything we want to, just as the oil and gas industry has done for so long, you know. Um, most clients, once they kind of pencil that together, in fact, all of them so far have kind of looked at it and said, yeah, this is pretty much inevitable. You guys are just the first one who have done it. Right. Um, so I think, you know, that's kind of the general reaction. Uh, the positive reaction has been a great deal of enthusiasm for specific vendors in the market. So for example, if you're a O&M provider and, you know, every O&M provider, like every EPC vendor, will tell you that they do the best service in the industry. Yeah. They just, they just don't have a way to prove it right now. And same with the module makers and same with everyone else in the value chain. Yeah. It's exactly right. It. Right. It's exactly right. So, you know, for them, they kind of look at this and, you know, I think for the vendors who are doing well, they're super excited by this because they're like, finally, I can actually come out and say what I have been saying, but I can back it up, you know? Eighty percent of our assets under management fall in a AAA category or fall in an A category, right? Um, that's a huge win, and right now they can't do it. You know, um, all they can do is make statements, and that's hard to. It's hard to do that. So what it ends up coming down to is a couple things: Do I trust a person, and what's their price? And you know, some mix of those two things is what sets final price, right? Um, and that's frustrating for a lot of people who want to do really good work and who want to show that they're doing good work and who will do the extra work, you know? Um, so for those vendors, I think they're super excited by this. I think that if you are one of the people who is always scraping another penny off um, and look, every good business person is trying to save money, but that has to come at a price somewhere, Right. Now, if you have some innovative new technology that allows you to save a nickel and still deliver the same quality, that's great. But I think what we're going to find is that people have been taking nickels and it's not, they're not taking, they're not taking, you know, just getting rid of fat. They're, they're cutting muscle matter, right? Um, and I think we'll see that in plants as we continue to do these scans over the next several years. You know, I, I think it's inevitable and it's inevitable. And for those people, I think that it's going to be a challenge for them. Is it going to have to really reset things? I've brought up a couple of times, you know, the shakeup factor that this could have in the market and that it could tick some people off. But I, but I think it, it, it's almost crucial to be able to continue to tell the public that message that we are cleaner, we are cheaper and we are we are doing this in a better way than than legacy energy systems. For sure. I think um, from a transparency system standpoint, I look, I think, um, you know, back in the in the aughts, the late aughts when I was at SunEd, um, during our strategy planning sessions, we would talk about kind of future cost points on solar. 
and what the implications were for the industries as a whole. One of the things that we said, you know, this as early as 2008, was that by 2015, 2016, the traditional central generation model is not going to be prepared for the degree of competitiveness that comes out of the solar sector. Because to, for a very long time, they have hidden behind um, embedded uh, structural policy incentives, right? Um, and every policy incentive that the solar and renewable energy sector has had has been very, very transparent. This is what the subsidy is. This is what the underwriting is, right? And it's created this culture of, um, to a large degree, a culture of accountability, you know, um, to try and be accountable to the um, incentive structures that we have, the best that we can as an industry. Um, I think that factor um, needs to continue. I think it will continue, in particular with a program like this. Uh, it will continue to drive that accountability and transparency. And I don't think um, I don't think anybody today is going to be able to look at another sector of energy production that will be as transparent in its overall performance as the solar and wind sectors are. I just don't think you're going to find it. You know, there's too many embedded structures in some of the other uh, energy systems that really hide that. Right? I mean. Look, I think nuclear uh, has a role in the in the industry and in clean uh, energy production, but it does have a lot of hidden and embedded um, structural benefits. And you know, you cannot say that about the solar sector; it's just not the way we've operated. You know, um, and so this just takes that to a to another level and makes sure that uh, what we continue to deliver actually is what people ask for. And at the end of the day, I think that if people look at um, kind of the overall sector and people are going to throw rocks at, at the industry for sure, they will just because of the rate at which we're growing. But uh, the reality is that um, they'll be hard pressed to find another industry that's going to have the degree of transparency that the solar sector will. And that will make us a better industry. It's kind of like anything you do in life. You know, if you if you run up against something that's hard. Um, and you press through it and you work through it, you become a better person at the end. And this industry has proven again and again that it can do that. Um, so, you know, we see this just as another natural extension of that effort. Mark Culpepper, drum bass. Thanks for joining us. Okay. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. And, um, look forward to uh, seeing you at our All right. We'll see you there. DroneBase will be debuting its quality ratings platform and will begin signing up subscribers at RE Plus in Anaheim with the entire 16 gigawatt California data set available for viewing. Factor This will also be at RE Plus. Join us for a live recording of the podcast in the Media Zone from 11.30 a.m. to noon on Wednesday. We'll be joined by leaders from Cypress Creek Renewables, QCells, and LightSource BP to discuss the two-year timeline, how to meet U.S. demand with American-made solar modules. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Factor This podcast from Renewable Energy World. And thank you to Next Tracker for sponsoring this episode. Factor This is a production of Renewable Energy World and Clarion Energy. 
Join us every Monday as we break down solar's most important topics with industry leaders who actually move the needle. And please leave us a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Factor This from Renewable Energy World. Hey, it's John Ingle, and I'm excited to share that registration is now live for Grid Tech Connect Forum California. Join us in Newport Beach June 24th through the 26th for the interconnection event. We're bringing together utilities, developers, regulators, and advocates to take on one of the biggest challenges facing the energy transition, both at the DG and utility scale levels. Click the link in the episode description and use promo code PODCAST to save 10% on admission. Join our partners from the Department of Energy, NREL, Southern California Edison, PG&E, Kaiso, Sunrun, NG, Convergent, AES, and so many more for this impactful event. We'll see you there.